And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I love the Raiders, and most of all, I love to win. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up, and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm Jimmy Durkin, joined as always by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, and Ted Wynn. It's been a long 48 or so hours for the Raiders, who lost on Sunday to the Chicago Bears 20-9 to fall to 3-2. We are obviously going to break down the game quite a bit, but uh, that's not the dominant storyline right now around this team. That, of course, has been their coach, John Gruden, with the Wall Street Journal on Friday reporting the existence of an email from 2011 in which he used a racist remark to refer to NFL PA executive director DeMarie Smith. Gruden apologized Friday, apologized again multiple times on Sunday. His players, I'd say by and large, either supported him or seemed fairly indifferent. And at this point, you know, we'll see what happens if the league or the team issues any punishment and um, we'll see how long it takes for the story to, to kind of die down. Yeah, I know the, the latest news that we got today was, uh, you know, Gruden admitted that he had also some emails with some some not so kind words about the commissioner of the league. But, you know, obviously the, the dominant storyline is, is the racist email that he sent out. And, you know, it's kind of hard to really take much from what, the, what we got from the players just because, I mean, guys are, are only going to say so much um, on the podium in front of a bunch of cameras and on, and on live streamed. Uh, audio and video and you know these are kind of the moments where you know not having locker room access really plays a part you know guys tend to be more comfortable in those those one-on-one settings and so it's kind of hard to get a sense for for how it's going over in the locker room I don't think we're really going to get there from a podium setting it seems like Gruden at this point just going to keep regurgitating the lines that he's put out and so it's really not going to be much new moving forward and until we get word from the league or, or unless you know something else were, were to emerge uh on Gruden's end and so Kind of a wait and see thing. Um, I, I think the the whole apology approach was, was a little bit weak, just because you know you know trying to come up with the rubber lips thing sounded like total BS, and um, the whole approach of kind of ducking addressing it on Friday when it came out, and today he had a, a half empty media room when he spoke for about about four and a half minutes as well, and so it, it seemed to be like they're ducking it a little bit, but you know, for the most part, we're, we're waiting to see more right now. Yeah, the Raiders came out flat, but like Josh Jacobs said, they've been flat pretty much offensively all year long. So it's been a big problem, especially the last two weeks. Uh, they can't run the ball. The O-line's having massive problems. Uh, they tried to move Leatherwood to guard. That didn't really do any good. It's kind of a desperation move, you know, a short week. I don't really know what the point was. But, um, 
like, like Deshaun said, the players didn't have a lot to offer. I think um, by and large, mostly in support of him and trying to move on from this. But um, obviously, it'll be lingering for for a while until Mark Davis makes a decision as far as punishment goes. You know, in terms of losing this game, you know, the bad performance offensively. You know, the defense tried to keep him in it as. Again, that seems to be the the theme of this season is that the defense tries to keep them in until the offense can get going. A loss is exacerbated by the fact that the Chiefs go on Sunday Night Football, lose again. They're 2-3, and three, five games into the season. They still sit in sole possession of last place. And if you look around this division, you start thinking like, man, we're not used to the Chiefs dropping games like this. And they're usually, you're lucky if the Chiefs lose two, three games in a season. And here they are, two and three after five weeks, and the Raiders are failing to take advantage of the fact that the Chiefs are getting off to this kind of a start. Um, and obviously the the Chargers won a thriller uh, over the Browns on Sunday, and, and they sit in first place now. So, I mean, I think that's one of the, the takeaways you have to say is that, man, the, the, the Raiders are really kind of blowing this opportunity where, in which the Chiefs are, are not getting off to a great start this year. They did better during the part of the schedule that's supposed to be really tough, and they're entering the part of their schedule that's supposed to be a little easier. You know, they started off with a home game against Chicago, who is struggling offensively, and they have a ton of their own problems on their offensive line. But, I mean, they just dominated the Raiders on the ground today, and the offense started off kind you know, they looked like they might have a hot start because they drove right down the field, got to the red zone, and then they got called for a holding penalty, and they just couldn't get in. There were some missed opportunities with some drop passes as well, but it was just a really lackluster performance, I think, from from uh, the offense and defense that you don't expect from a team that is challenging for playoffs or wants to be a championship contender. You, you have to be able to find a way to put these games away in a convincing fashion, and they just haven't done that, you know, even against lesser opponents. Yeah, and I would say the, the major issues aren't necessarily new. I mean, the offensive line has been pretty bad the entire year. The run defense has been bad all year statistically. Penalties have been a huge issue. I know that's something that, you know, kind of gets washed over sometimes, but they're among the most penalized teams in the league. And today, I mean, we had, what, two or three plays where they were called for, for two penalties at the same time. I think they had 10 penalties overall for the game. And so, you know, it shows a lack of discipline. You know, they are one of the youngest teams in the league. So I guess it's not all, all that surprising. But you would think when it's a repeated issue like this, like, you know, I'm sure the coaches are talking about it. They're not just, you know, telling them to go out there and keep making these mistakes. But it just seems like these are maybe flaws that aren't, you know, one to game blips or two game blips or that are going to be issues that they have to deal with the whole season. And they're kind of major issues, particularly the one on, on the offensive line and, and just how that kind of derails the offense that, you know, if they can't correct it, it's hard to see them reaching the places they want to go this season. There was a new issue that came up, and that was uh, Brian Edwards dropping two passes. He dropped a touchdown pass and also a deep, deep one later, which he makes those two catches. It's definitely a different game. So just kind of despite all the issues they had, they were very much in this game because the Bears are not very good offensively. I mean, uh, so I think that's also kind of frustrating that they, despite it all, they had a chance to still be in this and maybe pull it out. But the two drops uh, were very, very huge. And pulling the sets, they're a little bit early, um, so they may change in the days to come. But uh, they have four drops, um, and they caught it uncharacteristic after the game. But I pulled the numbers, and, I mean, they have like 14 drops for the season. And Darren Waller, surprisingly, is leading the team with five drops. So it hasn't been focused on that much. But if they've kind of had a little bit of a, a drop issue, and that combined with, you know, the, the pass blocking issues up front and Derek Carr being, you know, kind of uncharacteristically inaccurate sometimes. I think on that final play on, on fourth and five to Brian Edwards, I feel like Edwards 
had a step on the, on the defender there and could have been open there at the end of the game. And it looked like Derek Carr floated it a little bit too far. Maybe that was more of a timing issue than an accuracy issue, but it's kind of these little things here and there along with the major glaring issues and it's really derailed the offense so far. And obviously they've not been able to run the ball really with any consistency at all this year. And Josh Jacobs asked about it and, and he was pretty blunt. He said, if you, if you watch the film, like I watch film sometimes on plays, like, I, I don't know what y'all want me to do, which uh, he was trying to be nice to the offensive lineman. But he also kind of offered the, the blunt assessment that those guys aren't getting it done. He's right. I mean, right now, the Andre James experiment is a failure because, I mean, there was a play where, yeah, I think it, it might have been a third and short play where a guy just slipped right underneath of James, not even making a move. He just like went right underneath James. James tripped over. Then Leatherwood misses a block. And then there's two guys in J- Josh Jacobs' face as soon as he, he gets the handoff. So, you know, what chance does a running back have when that sort of stuff is happening. So, you know, I understand James is young, but I mean, there there are young rookie centers performing too. But right now, he, he's just not playing very well. And the Leatherwood experiment at guard, obviously it's going to take some time, but it did not look very good today. We didn't think that this style of offense was sustainable even when they were winning games. And now we're starting to see that come into fruition where it's just hard to survive with a, without a running game and to survive when your quarterback is being pressured that much. We talk a lot of, all the time about kind of the weird personnel moves they make. And the thing with James that probably is the most bothersome is okay, it's not even that they went and traded Rodney Hudson and gave him the job. I still, for the life of me, can't understand why they gave him an extension and, and paid him more money when the guy hadn't proven anything yet. It's a boost of confidence. Say, hey, man, you're a guy. And if you, this is proof that we really believe in you. But, yeah, obviously it was, uh, looking back, it was premature. But um, a lot of the moves they make in terms of the money don't make sense. So, man, that's just one, there's a lot of examples. But um, I, I look back at training camp, and we I kind of uh, we used to make fun of him. Mike Mayak would always spend – practices really watching the O-line. Like, every day he's up there examining him. Like, I love watching O-line play. But I'm thinking now, <laughs> you watch them every day – He's got to realize something's not quite up to par. He's kind of like, otherwise, if you go out there one day, they look fine. Okay, I'm done. Go back to my office, watch a little TV. But every day he's watching the O-line. He has to be some kind of concerns in the back of his mind. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with the O-line, you know, they didn't predict losing Denzel Good and Richie Incognito basically for the year so far. But anyway, Incognito, I mean, he was 38 years old, coming off of only playing basically a game the year before. You know, I think another part of that was what they were thinking that John Simpson would, would take more of a step in this second year. And, you know, if something does happen incognito, he's there. But uh, losing good definitely hurt. And um, the Andre James thing is interesting because it, it's like they, they gave themselves some insurance by, by signing Nick Martin, who had been a starter for the previous four years with the Texans. I don't think he was, you know, amazing or anything down there, but he was a, a reliable starter, I'd say. And, you know, they spent a seventh round pick on another center randomly. And so it seems like they had some questions. So again, like Jimmy said, I mean, you know, why why give him that guaranteed money, you know, if you do have some uncertainty. My sense with Nick Martin is Nick Martin needed a job and he said, Hey, I think Andre James, he pretty much called them and said, I'll sign for the minimum, Kyle, I have a chance to beat this guy out and didn't really get that. So my, my sense is they didn't really go after Nick Martin. I think that's kinda of happened. And the Morrissey thing that's ah, just seventh round. You're like, what the hell? Those kids, are, you know, love this guy's attitude and whatever. But I don't know if that's really – I think they really were confident with Andre James. Maybe that was misplaced. But I think that, um, based on the you know, the extension, I think they definitely thought that would be the least of their problems going forward. So I think we talk about Leatherwood a lot. We talk about um, the injuries. And 
Uh, James has been bad. I think I think also Simpson's not been very good. I think Simpson doesn't give me a lot of hope that he's going to be a mainstay guy for the future. So I think uh, there's a lot of issues besides uh, besides Colton Miller on that front line. I think part of why the the reasons they made those moves is they're they're very confident that Tom Cable was able to coach these guys up. So right now Tom Cable is the most important guy in the building right now because if this these offensive line issues don't get fixed, then this team is just going to keep imploding and getting worse or you know we're gonna see a lot more of the same thing so it's gonna be up to him to be able to get this offensive line playing better and and we've seen examples of offensive lines making really big improvements during the season so i think a lot of it is going to uh, depend on him and and these guys because i think this offensive line as it is right now with parker and leatherwood at guard and james is probably going to be the line we see for a while barring any injuries we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. In terms of the Raiders' defensive game plan, it looked like what they were trying to do, especially early, was just beat the crap out of Justin Fields, right? I mean, they were hitting him a lot. They were hitting him hard. He was banged up, and they seemed to think they they could impact him uh, by being physical. And, I mean, the game plan didn't not work. It's not the defense's fault that, uh, that they lost this game. I mean, I thought they did a good job of looking at a rookie quarterback and saying, how can we make life tough on him? It's just unfortunate that their offense couldn't take advantage. The run defense has been like pretty consistently not good, teetering over the bad at times, especially the last couple of weeks. The Chargers ran all over him and the Bears as well, minus David Montgomery, you know, their starting running back. Um, and in that first half, I think Gruden pointed it out. Um, I think the, the Bears had 37 plays compared to 23 plays for the Raiders, and that was because they were just had these lengthy, you know, drives where they're just running the ball. You know, even if they don't get that much yardage, you're just consistently moving the chains because the third down defense was an issue as well, and. Um, it started to get better as the game went on, especially, you know, I think they start, they forced four straight punts to come out or three straight punts to come out after the half. But uh, that run defense thing, I I think that's kind of something that we were concerned about uh, from afar uh, with with Crosby and and Gakwe starting, not being the best run defenders and uh, them spending a lot of time in nickel and dime and and those lighter boxes. And so that's kind of been the Achilles heel of the defense so far. Like overall, like obviously they outplayed the offense. You know, I think as Ted said earlier, it's something that opposing teams are really start whether they can run the ball super well or not, they're just attacking them in that area. They only allowed 17 points before the offense gave them that field goal at the end. I thought I think they did a good job on field. They thought they hit him pretty hard. I thought he was a little gun shy after that. Like there were times he could have turned the corner, but I think he saw guys coming like Matt, I want to I threw the, I'll throw the ball instead. So I thought that they did a good job. They gave uh but third quarter, they had three stops to give the offense the ball back. So, in my mind, the defense played well enough to win. I know there's talk now about Gruden said we need turnovers, yada, yada. But that's not – I mean, 
whatever. They play well enough to win this game, but it's definitely not on the on the defense. It's hard to force turnovers when a team is just running the ball down your throat because you're not going to force turnovers unless the quarterback's dropping back and you can get sacks or interceptions. In the first half, the run defense was really bad. They were giving up. They gave up 98 yards of rushing in the first half, 4.9 yards per carry. And then they tightened up a little bit in, in the second half. And, you know, as you can see, it's not that bad giving up the run in the modern NFL. But the Bears don't have – Justin Fields is not at a point yet where he could punish you with the play-action game and that sort of deal when you're hemorrhaging to run like that. But, you know, I, I wonder if – you know, why don't they use Cleland Farrell a little bit more in these situations? You know, he's a better run defender than Ngakwe and um, and Max Crosby. So, you know, what, if you're getting gashed in a run like this, why don't you just rotate him, you know, in a little bit more? You don't really need two uh, elite pass rushers in the game when you're facing a guy like Justin Fields at this point of his career. Clee Furl is the difference. Is the is the going to be the difference, man? <laughs> I, I did not see that coming. I, I would call me off guard, Ted. That was good. I was going to say the the one injury that they had this week for a guy that left the game was Jonathan Hankins. He went down twice and uh, back injury. I think the second time and he didn't come back in the game. And he's probably their best. Oh, he is run, defensive lineman against the run. And so if he's out, uh, maybe we do see some more Clee Furl. I don't know. Look, Hankins doesn't get a ton of tackles, but when you watch him, he holds the point of attack. And, you know, if he's not there holding the point of attack, I, you, when you see the other guys, they just get washed on that defensive line. There's some some big holes. So hopefully uh, Hankins is all right because um, you might not think the run defense can get worse, but trust me, I think it could get worse than uh, what we saw. Vic, as you wrote, um, if it weren't for everything going on with Gruden, uh, one of probably the biggest storyline of this game would have been the return of Khalil Mack. You know, first time playing the Raiders in their home stadium, obviously the 2019 game that was in London was scheduled to be in Oakland before it was moved overseas as part of the international series. And Khalil uh, kind of wished this game w- was in Oakland. Said uh, Vegas a little too bougie for him, right? You got a chance to talk to Khalil after the game. What was his reaction to playing the Raiders? Just real quick about the O thing. I thought the O thing was that he did the O sign like Woodson would do in Oakland. I thought that was kind of funny after his, uh, I guess it wasn't a sack. If it's kind of a two-point conversion, not really a sack. But he stopped Carr on a two-point conversion. And when he came off and did, did the O, which I thought was kind of funny. And I asked him why and, that was his, he was joking, but that was a pretty funny answer. But, yeah, he had a big game. Eight tackles, the sack, the stop on Carr, you know, fourth and one tackle. And I know Matt Nagy said he really was the leader out there for this team. And kind of they mentioned how this, the loss in London kind of hung with him. And it kind of they remembered that as the, kind of the Raiders were celebrating a little too much and how they really focused on stopping Khalil that game. And definitely they kind of wanted to win it for him. So, um, yeah, it's 1-1 now in terms of his games against the Raiders. And uh, Derek Carr said you can't wait for the rubber match. But, um I don't know if he's uh, that eager. He took some shots today from Khalil. I'm sure it didn't feel very good. Did it seem like Khalil was trying not to hit him that hard when he sacked him, though? I swear after the first one, I think he asked Derek if he was okay. And Derek's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all right. So I think um, that's pretty cracked me up. But, yeah, they get along really well. And, obviously, um, Derek said that at some point when they're old, they'll be in the rocking chairs talking about this game. But uh, they came up together as rookies. There definitely is a bond there. Like Derek said last week his heart was broken when they traded Khalil Mack away. And that'll be something that kind of lingers you know, in the history and the, in the future of the team for a while to see what happens with um, the players they got for him and if they can make the playoffs without him. The other former Raider over on the Bears was uh, Mario Edwards, who uh, I tweeted that I think he was mad that nobody was called this the Mario Edwards uh, revenge game because he got like two personal fouls. He was even more fired up. Uh, no idea if it was related to playing against the Raiders, but uh, but he was testy out there. 
Yeah, I'm sure it was. I don't think he left on the best of terms. He had some injury problems, but I think people regard him kind of as a bust here, and I think that surely hangs with him. But he clearly was fired up and clearly had a, an axe to grind. And actually, there were pretty big penalties for the Raiders. They helped him out in both cases. So, yeah, it's you, know, you look back at this game, I think it will be one you, you, you know, say, you know what? They should have had that one. It's a game they could have won, I think, despite how well Khalil played. And I think that game was there to be had today. I mean, what do you think are the answers for this offense? It's unbelievable when you look at, you know, five games in, they've you know, yet to score uh, a touchdown in the first quarter. Um, they got, got a field goal today, so they do have eight first quarter points now through five games. You know, and, and especially when you consider those those first couple, three games where they their offense, once they got out, you know, kind of got going, they were so good. I mean, is there anything that, that you guys see that, that they can do? I mean, I, to me, maybe the biggest option to Sean is that every play, I mean, we've seen this, I think, since Gruden has come back. Have they ever passed the ball on the first offensive play of the game? I was going to say my answer is just go full air raid. You know what I mean? Like, throw more on early downs, you know, first and second down, starting drives. You know, don't get so – it still seems like even though, like, we've seen this, this run game not do anything for you know, five games now – the coaching staff is so like, well, let's just see if we can do it this game. Let's just like get some of those early runs out there, start off the game with one, see if it goes well. And then, you know, if it doesn't, all right, then we'll go start throwing the ball. But by the time they start, you get around to throwing the ball, you know, significantly more, they're already trailing by two scores. You know, it's happened multiple times now. And so I think at this point, you got to basically do what they did in the first couple of games and just start throwing like crazy. Because, I mean, the run is just like they're averaging, what, like 3.2 yards a carry right now? Like, that's almost worthless. It's like almost a waste of a down. And, even the type of runs that they do is like all these inside runs, like super predictable, like, you know, especially when they have Engle out there because you can tell which way he's lined up, that's which way they're going to run the ball. And so, you know, the offensive line, unless they get, you know, get incognito back, uh, I don't see those guys magically improving on a short-term basis. So I, just, I think just have to start airing this thing out. Especially on third and fourth and one, this team has been terrible since last season. I think part of that is they got to experiment with taking the fullback off the field in those situations, like Tashawn said, you kind of telegraph where you're going when you have a fullback on the field, especially in those third and fourth and uh, fourth, fourth and one situations. And I feel like they've run the ball almost every third and fourth one. I got to check the stats, but you hardly see any passes in those situations. Short yardage, it's a big deal. If you're not converting those, turning the ball over in bad field position or or turning the ball over in the red zone, that's, that's big. So that's uh, one area where they have to improve on uh, quickly. They had that nice pitch play to uh, Kenyon Drake, and then all of a sudden uh, Chris Angel was there, kind of made him disappear. So I didn't see Drake. I thought we might see more of Drake after that play. It was like his best play in weeks, but then he never uh, appeared again. So I just think like you know, all the talk in the preseason about how Drake was to be a big time weapon. They pay him a lot of money, and he's been a non factor, kind of, which I think is uh, very glaring, especially with his offensive trouble they've had. And same with Foster Moreau. A lot of talk about Foster Moreau's going to be a big time weapon with Jason Witten gone. And, Foster Roy hasn't done nothing in the first five games. So there are two guys that were talking about helping out this offense, and uh, they've not been uh, been visible. Yeah, only one target for Drake, just the two carries. Um, in terms of Moreau, you know, what's weird is that his reputation coming into the league, and he even kind of confirmed it, you know, a couple weeks ago. When he got here, I mean, Gruden said, you're going to be my inline blocker. He's not been a good blocker. Because he's mad about not catching passes. He, he wants to rock. No, I agree with you. He's he's not played very well. Both, I mean, not being a factor catching the ball, but also today he missed a block and it was for a sack. So he's uh, yeah, surprisingly. I mean, God, do they miss Jason Witten? I hate. I mean, I never thought I'd say that, but um, 
definitely he's not been the player they thought he was going to be. There's so much hype, especially Gruden himself. Really hyped him up this preseason as a guy who was going to be a big-time factor for him, and he hasn't been so far. Derek Carrier's out for the year probably with a, a torn pick. So if Foster's not holding it holding it down as, as a blocker, that really hurts them because, you know, Gruden loves those multi-tight end sets, and especially with, you know, some of the blocking issues that they're having on the offensive line. I mean, it's even more key that those tight ends are, are effective pass blockers and run blockers. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that we're just learning overall. It doesn't really matter, you know. I mean, that it does matter, like, how good your quarterback play is, how many weapons you have. But if the, if the front five is struggling, man, that shit goes out the window real fast. Like, the offense will look terrible, you know, <laughs> especially when, when they're struggling on both sides, run blocking and pass blocking. So until that gets right, I just I don't, I don't know where this offense goes, really. Their one short yardage play that's been successful this season, Derek Carr has, been, has made it a point to prove Ted wrong that he is good at quarterback sneaks. He converts another one today. I think he's converted every one this season, but he takes a huge hit and he had to come out of the game for a little while. And my guess is that pretty much is probably going to have to take that play out of the playbook. You saw that as he was about to come back into the game, they actually pulled him back off because they realized it was another fourth and one. And so they kept Peterman out there for that fourth and one play so he could do the quarterback sneak. Sad to say, I think that that's been their best short yardage play, and it, it might have to get eliminated because you, you see what what kind of a risk that is when you do put your quarterback in that position. Those guys are paying uh, how much money is he at now? Marks Mariota still in IR. I think he's eligible to come back this week, I believe, if he is healthy enough. Just, to come just back. bring in Mariota so, for the quarterback. No, season. the the twenty million dollars or whatever they paid him. There you go. Yeah. Well, they try to have Derek Carr run a, a zone read today. It was probably one of the worst zone read keepers I've ever seen. <laughs> I never want to see that again. <laughs> tough crowd, man. Tough crowd. Hey, rough week. We've been singing Carr's praises for uh, for a while on this podcast, so we, we, we can make fun of him for the for that zone read keeper. All right, well, they've got the Denver Broncos next Sunday. Uh, the Broncos are, are kind of in the same position as the Raiders. They started the season 3-0. and They've lost two in a row. Their 3-0 and start was different than the Raiders in that they played three absolute cupcakes and uh, the, the Giants, the Jags, and the Jets. Um, although they lost to Pittsburgh today on the road, um, Ben Roethlisberger made their secondary, their high-priced secondary, uh, look pretty bad. So we'll see if the, if the Raiders can exploit them. I mean, they're... They're kind of a, another a three and two team that is probably not as good as their record, but uh, obviously we'll get a lot more into breaking down that game uh, later this week. But coming to position where the Raiders, that's, that's a game they're going to have to go on the road to Denver and win if they uh, want to get themselves back on track. It's going to be tough because these defenses the last two weeks they've struggled against are kind of like the Vic Fangio defense. Now they may face the the master, and I think Von Miller will be fired up against this offensive line. So it's going to be a tough, tough game to win that one. I think. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, it's going to be, I don't see good things ahead for the this team as far as next week goes. I think they struggle against teams with a good four-man rush because they, they play well against teams that blitz for pressure because Derek Carr is really good at reading those blitzes. But when you have a guy, you know, guys that just beat up your offensive line, they could you could drop seven. That's where they're going to, you know, face some difficulties. And the Broncos have Von Miller and they have Chubb. So that's, uh, that's going to be another team with the strong pass rush. We got a note here from our producer, Brian. He says, Chris Angel handcuffed the Raiders offense. That that was the problem. Yeah, the Chris Angel show before the game. Mark Davis put the straight jacket on him. and Did he? Wow. Yeah, he was loving it. Mark was laughing. He was having, I mean, I'm sure he's had a rough week. It was like five minutes where he could like, forget about all his problems. But he was loving it. The whole, the whole act. He straight jacket upside down. He got out of it. And uh, 
unfortunately, uh, I joked in that I wish Angel had kind of made their first career offense uh, score a touchdown, but uh, that was too hard a trick for him, so they couldn't, they couldn't do that. There you go. That's our uh, podcast headline right there. Chris Angel handcuffs the Raiders offense. All righty, guys. That'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We will be back later this week uh, to get you set for the Raiders heading to Denver to take on the Broncos. We'll talk to Nick Cosmider, a Broncos rider, and uh, get the lowdown on how Denver is doing and uh, get ready for the Raiders to try to uh, go on the road and get a victory. Later. Adios, muchachos, muchachos. Hey. I never snapped in my life. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.